This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Five Anfield defeats in a row. The gold drought goes on as a Salah storm brews and the red season plummets to new depths. We're here to get into all of what is going on at Anfield right now. We've our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, our chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle, and David Lynch also along for the ride. We'll skip the pleasantry, uh, lads. It's a case of, I suppose, reading the room or should I say the, the video call. But Gorsty, what's continuing to go wrong and why has Liverpool's season sort of fallen apart so spectacularly? How long is it? Okay, we try to keep it to around about 45 minutes, don't we? And I'm sure I could probably dissect that for an hour alone. Um, it's incredible, isn't it? Liverpool are now, we passed the nine hour mark inside 15 minutes against Chelsea, so no goal at Anfield in open place in Sadio Mane in the 12th minute against West Brom on December the 27th. So they passed the nine hour mark and then they passed the 10 hour mark. And you know what? Um, you probably look further away than ever from scoring yesterday, and and I think I think that's all Liverpool fans are probably asking for at the moment. All they want to see is, is even a half decent chance. The only one I can think of, the only real, possibly two chances since that since man since that Mane goal was um, a great save from the from the West Brom keeper um, from Firmino right at the end, and Origi when he goes clean through against uh, Burnley after the mistake from Ben Me, and, and other than that, it's just the same. Ponderous play, crosses getting aimlessly whipped in, long balls over the top, going nowhere. And sometimes, sometimes I wonder what what the game plan is because Liverpool seem to sling in a lot of high high crosses, thinking that they've still got Andy Carroll or balls over the top. You know, it, it just seems to be very aimless and ponderous. And uh, Klopp has tried to change it. He tweaked it a little bit against Sheffield United, which kind of saw Sadio and Mane come in field a little bit. Andy Robertson pushed on, and and he kind of. Explained that he'd spoke to Curtis Jones in the week about getting himself in more um, scoring positions, and you could see that was at work in the first half, particularly. But um, didn't really work. Um, just don't even look like the, like they were going to score yesterday. And I think if they were still playing against Chelsea now, they wouldn't have scored. If they were still playing against Everton now, they wouldn't have scored. And it's it's just going from from bad to worse. And I think a lot of fans now. I just seem to see a lot of fans more and more, kind of hardened fans who go home and away, and fans who went to Qatar and um, travel, you know, the length and breadth of the country. Even they're kind of saying now, from what I've seen on social media, I've had enough of this. I'm jibbing and so are all allowed back on the ground, which hopefully will be next season. But for Liverpool themselves, they've got to soldier on and, and try to somehow get themselves out of this mess. What is it then until? Fans are back in then, doily damage limitation. Oh, the season's over. The season's over, as far as I'm concerned. I'm sorry to, to, to kill it there for everybody. Um, <laughs> it's the most doily start ever. <laughs> yeah, it is, though, isn't it? I mean, I've been saying it for a while. I mean, okay, seriously, then uh, looking at the game in isolation, you get beat at home by Chelsea. You know, there's that's there's nothing too untoward with that. That's what's going to happen when you play against a, a you know, I know some people were saying Chelsea are a great team, they're not. I wasn't particularly impressed with them in the same way I've not been impressed with practically... Well, in fact, I go as far as say I've not been impressed with any team this season apart from Man City. Everybody else has been fairly average at best, and which is why you see so many teams all, you know, battling it out for second, third and fourth place because they still are all the way down to, you know, someone who's been quite poor this season as Arsenal. Um, 
just trying to get the, the rise yep. there, I go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, seriously, that doesn't land that there's not been much quality in terms of consistent quality. But for Liverpool, they're just apt. I mean, we'll come we'll, later on we'll come on to the teams and whatnot and what they can do, but it's clear that whatever they're doing at the moment at home just isn't working. It's different away from home. They've won four of the last five away from home, and the one that they lost was against Leicester, which they should have won. And if if you know Palace and Becker doesn't make that mistake, they, they probably are gonna win. So yeah, I mean, it's just the same old, same old, as Gorsty said. What can they do that's different? We'll say we'll come on to that. But, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's you know, yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it not a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy this season in terms of going on about the injuries, the amount of centre-back? Well, hang on. I mean, you can't, well, the, other, the, the, the thing there is that, yeah, it's, well, they're not, it's not self-fulfilling in the sense they're not going around kicking each other to get them injured. Well, this is the thing, is that it's like Klopp made a good point in his press conference today where he said, look, it's not so much the fact that we're getting players injured, but it's that they just keep on getting injured all of the time. There's no chance of, to build any rhythm. They, they can't, what is it now, about 13,000 centre-back partnerships, isn't it? I think it's 19. Um, 19 in how many games? About 38 games. That's like basically changing it every other game. How are you supposed to? How are you supposed to build anything on the back of that? And I'm pretty sure you know all, all the, you know the the media commentators or, or or fans or even us who who say, well, look at you know Manchester City are doing that well because they brought in Ruben Diaz and they're they're able to you know get get this centre back pairing working and you know ex players out of the team because Y and Z are doing really well. Well, it's the complete opposite for Liverpool, so that's why they've been struggling this season. I mean, obviously, I think they've been feeling. Andy Robinson said it; they've been feeling a bit sorry for themselves at the minute they go behind, that they just feel as though, oh no, it's happening again. That happens to any team, but any that can happen to any team at any point in, you know, in their careers. That that's what happens. But you know, Liverpool are missing the fans, but that's no excuse for some of the performances they've been putting out. I mean. Against Everton, I thought for about forty-five minutes in the middle of the game, they were quite decent actually. But Chelsea, they just they just seemed to run out of ideas really quickly. It was eighty-five minutes before they had a header on target. That was the one album. Yeah. So, what does that tell you? As I said, I don't think Chelsea were particularly great. But the minute that they score that goal, it's it's all over. In fact, it's almost like you know, it's like the Everton game. If I know it sounds ridiculous, but if Everton don't score, it's nil-nil. But that just under that just underlines that. Liverpool just can't score at the moment at home. It's very strange. Yeah, but what? So what? What's behind that though? Because we've spoken obviously about how Virgil Van Dijk helps build up the sort of attacks from the back and all this, that, and the other, David. But the guys at the top end of the pitch just aren't doing it at all. Yes, they are sort of conceding at a rate of just over a goal a game, which isn't healthy, but still doesn't sort of make up for the fact that at the top end of the pitch, absolutely nothing is going on. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's sort of the problem has, has slightly changed as they've gone through this run of poor results. I think at the start you could look at some of the chances they missed and, and maybe thought you know you'd like some of the, the the quality of play that Liverpool have got at the front end of the pitch. You would like them to do slightly better in some of those situations. But the longer it's gone on, and particularly watching that game yesterday, Liverpool didn't create chances at all. And it, it goes back to me to the problem that, or, or the the sort of theory that Jurgen Klopp put forward was that his best playmaker in his team is always the pressing and the, the ability to sort of pay, pick up segments of broken play and make the use of the spaces that are created in, in that from your pressing. And I don't think Liverpool's pressing is anywhere near what it used to be. And I think that is a major, major issue when it comes to creating chances. Um, the, the midfield trio they put out yesterday, um, for me, 
it's got serious issues as a unit. I think all three of them have played well at times during this recent run. I'm thinking about obviously Curtis Jones at, at Sheffield United was the standout. Thiago's had his moments. Why now that we know how good of a player he is? But as a unit, it's just an absolute mess as far as I'm concerned. They're so easily played through. They don't press as well. They don't seem to catch the opposition off guard. At what point in yesterday's game did you look at it and think Chelsea looked even slightly disorganised at any moment? Now, that's Liverpool's job to make them disorganised and to give their forwards then the chance to, to sort of seize on those broken moments of play and, and create opportunities. And that's just not happening anymore. And I think the biggest problem I think they've got is that I'm looking at it and, and what what's the change you make to that midfield? I think that's probably the best three options he's got now until the end of the season. And, and that's the, the, the trio he's probably going to name for the remainder of the games. And so you can't really even see where they turn a corner with this because that midfield for me is not going to suddenly start, you know, pressing unbelievably and, and, and changing games in a way that the, that the old midfield used to. So it's it's just an issue that's that's going to be there till the end of the season, as far as I'm concerned. And, and that you have to acknowledge is is dictated to by the injuries, but the fact that you know Jurgen Klopp hasn't looked at it and sort of thought, is there anything? slightly different I can do in there to, to alleviate that problem is, is a little worrying at the moment. I think it's something he has to consider to the end of the season because if you do keep picking up results as poorly as this and, and doing and putting in performances like this, I think there's a real chance that you get to the end of the season and there's a slight knock-on in terms of confidence and they can't afford to do that. They need to be able to get there with something to hold on to and then say, look, it was just the injuries, let's reset. Yeah, have we reached a point then with in terms of the players who are injured, Gorsi, that Beyond the players who were injured and the players who are now left fit, Jurgen Klopp doesn't maybe have the trust in the players who are on the bench, i.e. yesterday, to actually change the system all too much because the system's not been changing. But on Monday, we said the one area where there is choice for selection is in midfield. But Keita, Shakiri, Milner, they're all on the bench yesterday. And obviously Milner did get on in the end. But that's maybe one area he can change and isn't. And albeit you've got someone like Divock Origi, who's constantly being on the bench, the strikers aren't scoring. And again, he still doesn't get a chance. To an extent, yeah. I mean, I was I was shocked that Navigator never got on yesterday. I thought um, when he came on against Sheffield United, look it looked a little bit bright and inventive and, and quite clearly wanted to, to make a mark in, in the limited time that he had. Um, so I was surprised when he wasn't brought on with Liverpool and absolutely crying out and turning the head out for any kind of invention or creativity. So he was left kicking his heels on the sideline. So I was almost as shocked at that as I was with Salah going off. Um, and to an extent, yeah, Dan Shaqiri, who again has had a bit of an up-and-down season, but he's had, he's had the odd moments, hasn't he? You think of West Ham, that slide rule pass to um, to Jota and, and the one area that week against Michelin for, for Trent to set up Jota. Um both of those left on the bench, and they are two players. You look look at Liverpool's bench yesterday and think that they are players capable of, of just doing something, you know, anything that, that's a bit out, out of the ordinary. For me, I think Origi's um, career is just basically petering out at Anfield now. Everyone will always remember him for, for that kind of that, that May he had in, the, in 2019 and, and then obviously the first of June. But um, he, hasn't, he hasn't convinced when he's played at all. He, he was given a start against Burnley and just looked a bit uninterested and listless and, and lethargic. And to an extent, his performances have, have kind of given Origi a false sense of security, excuse me, for me, you know, a false sense of security in terms of he's not done. He just seems to be drifting through games at the moment. And um, I think fatigue do, does have a kind of knock-on effect for all of this, uh, as we've already suggested. But um, 
I, I don't think Klopp has got um, got any trust in Origi, um, but I was surprised not to see Naby Keita for at least 10 or 15 minutes last night. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's talk about substitutions then and that one in particular with Mohamed Salah. Doily, what did you make of it? Obviously, after it all, it's caused a massive fiore in terms of um, bringing off the top goal scorer when Liverpool desperately needed a goal. Well, I, at the time, I was like, why is he Why is he subbed him? He must be injured or something. He must have some kind of issue because he was the only Liverpool player that looked like he was actually going to find a way through. And I didn't really... I know that there was the, the suggestion that, that Jurgen Klopp wasn't happy with the way he defended like a couple of minutes before and Mohamed um, Salah, but I actually thought he actually did quite well in that respect. He certainly, I think there was one incident in the second half where he, where he lost the ball and then he basically bombed it back to try, and, to try and help out Trent on the right wing. So I don't think there's any issue, any issues there. If you take what Klopp said at face value, you'd have to say that there is credence in him saying that, well, he looked a little bit tired because he's played practically every game this season. So in that sense... Fair enough, but you know it was interesting as well, wasn't it? Club came out and said, "Look, I'd do it again if I think it's right. I'm not bothered what everybody says." Which is that's what he should be saying, to be honest. You know, so yeah, it wasn't helpful that Salah's agent did his little full stop on Twitter. But you know, that's just there's that that's that's the man, isn't it? You know, he, but uh, I wouldn't think there's any problem, to be honest. I don't, I don't really see any issue. You know, player gets subbed. Why wouldn't he be upset? getting subbed especially when he's playing against his former team with, with his team one nil down and he's the top scorer and he thinks that he can turn the game around so you can see why uh, Salah wasn't too happy but any issues I don't think there's any to be honest I think there'd be more of an issue if uh, if Salah wasn't scoring and then he got subbed you know that would be that would be far more far more worrying but you know and I wouldn't be surprised if he starts against Fulham anyway on Sunday so what do you make of it David was it Torres against Birmingham City Rafa Benitez sort of reimagined I think I think you've got to take what Klopp said on face value in terms of him just believing that there was a little bit of tiredness in Salah's legs and, and not thinking just wanting to give him a rest. And, you know, particularly in this season where we've seen so many players going down, you don't really want to be taking any risks with your top scorer, do you? But it's um, I do think there's maybe a slight element of, of the manager's frustration creeping into that decision. You know, that, shall I just try something completely mad because things aren't going our way and they haven't been for quite a while? You know. It, we're all prone to that, maybe as watching the watching the game ourselves. So I, I think even managers are prone to that as well. I think we, you know you can't rule out that little brush of blood to the head and you know, the madness of the decision. Doyle mentioning the the agent situation. I think that is just embarrassing, as far as I'm concerned. To be honest, it's uh, the, the idea that you will put your client in that position, isn't it? You know, I, I know agents are sort of lifted up on a pedestal at times and, and, and the idea is that every move you make is sort of orchestrated and clever. No, this is the way people talk about them though. And I just think <laughs> if, 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 if Salah's agent puts his, his player in a position this summer whereby he makes his, he makes his place at Liverpool untenable and, and makes it out that there's some sort of fracture between him and the manager... And then you've got clubs like Real Madrid who haven't got the money to go and spend 150, 200 million to buy Salah from Liverpool. Then you make you create a completely awful situation for your player it, 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 that he can't get out. And then the manager and the players around him are thinking, well, why is your agent behaving in that way? I just think stuff like that is so stupid and needless. And Liverpool really particularly don't need it in this season where things are going wrong. It's just another thing to think about, another thing to worry about, um, which I just think is a measure of Salah's agent as a man, personally. 
Wow. Theo might not be on this podcast. I was going to say, just got I was going to say, th- on him. <laughs> yeah, didn't think Theo was here with us today. Uh, just, Gorsty, in terms of even going back to the summer, preparing for the season and this perfect storm that we talk about that's come about for Liverpool and how everything has sort of seemingly derailed the season and gone wrong and we're already now waiting for next season. But are Liverpool the hierarchy in some way sort of complicit in how things have gone bad in terms of preparation. When Project Restart came in, they knew this season would be delayed. They knew it would be truncated. They knew that they'd have to play all of these matches in a short amount of time. I know there was a COVID market, but if we're saying he's not got trust in Divock Origi, should everything not have been done to move on certain players who weren't going to be trusted to be used and build a deeper squad? I know you can't sort of legislate for the amount of... injuries in defence, but he's not changing up the attack. He's not really changing that midfield. He's not really got that many choices to do so, though. No, it's a good point. Uh, first of all, I just want to say I completely agree with Lynch's last point about Salah's agents, but that's, uh, that's by the by. Um, yeah, <laughs> no question Liverpool should have had um, at least one proper centre-back on, on New Year's Day with, with Liverpool kits, a new name on the back and number and all that kind of stuff, unveiling. Liverpool knew that they needed a centre-back from when Dan Lovren left. They knew they needed one, probably even more important, when Van Dijk went down. They knew they needed one when Joe Gomez went down. They knew they needed one when Joel Matip couldn't you know, prove himself to be a long-term option. And then they've ended up um, trying to take advantage of a contract situation in the Championship. Um, and then they've, they've gone on a mad dash in the final hours of the transfer window to bring in a 20-year-old. Um, who okay has a bit of pedigree takes international, but he's playing for a team who were really struggling at the bottom of the Bundesliga. And and again, they've tried to take advantage of their financial situation, we think, because the kind of try as you buy deal for 18 million when the back was being banded about as 30 odd million just a few months earlier. So um the pill should have been better prepared for this. And I know it's easy for us to, to kind of armchair quarterback it as the phrase goes, but um the, you know, the owners knew that, that that these were the types of players that Liverpool needed to to push on, and I think they they gambled on Klopp's ability to keep them in the mix, uh, which is a bit of a false economy. And I think um, Klopp kind of did that for a while, didn't he? Until um, just after Christmas, when it all started to unravel, and um, I just think they've they've kind of placed too much faith in in Klopp's ability to. Keep Liverpool at the forefront when he's got no centre backs. Um, so, so, so they haven't backed them, and we know that FSG don't operate in certain ways. They're not a similar ownership model to a Manchester City or a Chelsea. But um, to, to kind of offer up what 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 they have in the closing stages of the transfer window for a manager who has done what he's done for Liverpool is, um, you know, they, they haven't done right by him to be honest. And um, sadly, it looks like um, the chickens are coming home to roost on on that score. It might not be their ownership model then, Doily, in terms of spending money, but do they, looking forward then to the summer, need to break with that? And actually, these are, I suppose, restrictions in the market that Liverpool impose upon themselves. I know there is financial fair play to to contend with and deal with, but is it time that actually they do say, right, we are going to need to go back on another investment spree like they did three years ago and actually overhaul things quite drastically? I'm not entirely sure about overhauling it drastically because don't forget that even if half of the players who are meant to be coming back from injury come back, then there's two or three. You know, you, you have to expect that at least one of them possibly isn't going to come back 
immediately as, as, as good as they were before they got injured. And, and indeed, if they ever do actually get back to that level, it, you, it's the great unknown, isn't it, when players get injured? Certainly long-term injuries. In terms of going back to what Ghosty said, I think it wasn't just FSG, was it? It was Klopp made the gamble last, last summer when he went, you know, he obviously got told we've got X amount of money. And he decided, right, I want Jota and I want uh, I want Thiago. And so they spent the money on those rather than, than bringing in a centre-back. And he said, well, we'll go with Fabinho. You know, money's not limitless at Liverpool. I think everybody knows that. You know, the great unknown is for, from FSG's point of view, without wishing to, you know, to, to, to sympathise with them to any great extent, but they had absolutely no idea how long this pandemic's going to go on. I mean, we all thought, let's be brutally honest about this, we all thought fans would be back in by now and we'd be getting towards half you know half full houses possibly even full houses and it's going to end up that there's only going to be 16,000 fans allowed in, in Anfield the entire season and that's a massive amount of money that that Liverpool have lost I mean all the other clubs have lost that as well but not all the other clubs have got everybody all the centre-backs injured so that's that's the that's the other problem I think they've gambled I think I know what I know what Lynch is going to say in a bit by the way so uh, we've spoken about this so it's going to yeah so I won't I won't, I won't, uh, I won't steal his thunder in, in that sense but um I think FSG and Klopp have both gambled. It's backfired, but it's backfired because of circumstances. Part, half of them, out, well, to be honest, 75% of them out of their control. And it's just, in that sense, it's unlucky But because you can't prepare for everything. But when when you think that Liverpool went 30 years without was it without winning the league and it was Benitez that said that you need a perfect... Liverpool, the way that things are, certainly at the time when he was in charge, they need a perfect season to be able to challenge and, and win the, the, the title. That's what Liverpool had for two seasons, wasn't it? You know, and you can't keep that up forever. And Klopp said today, you know, teams can't do that. There's only one team in, in England that could possibly do that is Man City. And maybe further down the line in 10 years, you look at Liverpool's title win and Champions League win and go, well, that must have been some effort because that's in the period where Man City won seven leagues out of eight. So, you know, I know we're going slightly off the point there, but uh, I think for FS, I say for FSG and Klopp, I think... In the summer, I don't think there's going to be a massive amount spent because I don't think they've got the money. I think to do that, they'd have to sell players. Who's going to buy the players, as, as Lynch, you said before? Certainly, if we've got seller, who else has got the money? So there will be some new new players coming in, but I don't think it'll be anywhere near as drastic as some people think because I don't actually think it needs tons and tons and tons of players coming in. No, well, we saw with Man City, it was effectively a centre-back they needed in there, obviously. 22 points ahead of Liverpool, same stage last season. That was the uh, the gap at the same point. But Lynch then looking sort of at, I suppose, those gambles and risks Liverpool have taken before, across the echo, across Blood Red, we're always quick to lord how well Liverpool and Michael Edwards do in the transfer market. These risks have all paid off. Last summer, though, they didn't decide on permanent deals to offload the likes of Marco Gruic, Harry Wilson, maybe even the likes of Shakiri and Origi because they thought it's a COVID market. They won't get good fees. They'll go to the market next season after another strong season and be able to sell them. I suppose now, though, they're going to go to the market in a compromised position on those players and probably not be able to get the, the fees they thought they would be able to. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's going to have to be an acceptance that if they really do want to do that little bit of extra work to the squad and, and particularly the fringe players, then they, they're going to have to accept some fees that maybe, you know, 12, 18 months ago, they wouldn't have, have deemed acceptable because this, you know, we're onto another COVID market again, aren't we? You know, things don't suddenly pick up this summer, even with fans returning. I think there's still going to be cash flow issues for a lot of clubs. And so, you know, the likes of Shakiri, for example, who, who Liverpool would probably like to move on. 
you're not going to be getting a, the, the 30 million fee that they were bandying around maybe two years ago uh, when, you know, initially they sort of suggested they want to move on. And I think it all feeds into as well, I think, the idea that although at the end of the season, the main theme and obviously the main problem that Liverpool faced will be the injuries, they will, you know, I think Michael Edwards and the recruitment staff should, should take away certain things from this season and, and reflect on the fact that when those injuries have hit, Liverpool's fringe players haven't been available to to sort of fill in the gap. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, coming in to fill in for, for Virgil van Dijk, for example, the more long-term absentees or, or Diogo Jota out for a few months. The players that they've, they've brought in to sort of fill in have just not been there because they've got terrible fitness records. And I think that's something that Liverpool's recruitment staff, have, it's been written before that they, they look at when they're signing players, but that just hasn't worked out in reality. We haven't seen enough of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain this season. We haven't seen enough of Shakiri over the last two seasons. Same goes for Naby Keita. Um, and, and that puts them in a position where they, they need to decide whether they can actually get these players fit in the long term and have them making big contributions to the squad or whether it's time to just cut your losses and look for players that, that both the manager believes in and, and will be available most of the time. And on the managerial point, in fact, it's worth saying that Oxlade-Chamberlain has been fit for the majority of the season and yet can't get a look in whatsoever. Now, that suggests to me that the manager doesn't quite fancy him. Now, do Liverpool really, you know, do they have to think about whether they take a hit on the fee they would accept for a player like that so they can move them on and get a player that, that Jurgen Klopp believes in? I think, I think there's some tough decisions ahead this summer and I don't think you can all, you can sit there and, and write it all off as injuries and that it'll suddenly recover. I think they've got to make a few tough decisions. But I would also actually agree with what Doyley says is there's not significant work needs to the squad either. It's, a, it's, it's somewhere in between in that they need a couple of decent players, you know, additions throughout the spine of the squad. Maybe we obviously a centre-half is top priority for me. But beyond that, if you had a couple of players beyond that, they should be in a really good position still. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Looking there, getting back to, towards results then, half of the, the season Liverpool have already played, played 27, of course, in the league. But last 13 of those, gorsty has been when the rot has well and truly set in. 12 points picked up in that time, the same number as Sheffield United, who are bottom of the league. Is Jurgen Klopp completely blameless in this or is there more that maybe he could have done with what he's had at his disposal to to try and get some better results on the board you're on mute Gorsley welcome back what a response that was by the way <laughs> <laughs> um, no I, I, I don't think you can I mean you can't be overly critical of, of Clark because as we say the, there is some mitigation and, and plenty of explanation behind the run but of course, he's got to take some some kind of stick at some point, you know, given that Liverpool have lost five games at Anfield for the first time in their history. You know, it was only a few weeks ago we were talking about a 68-game unbeaten run and Liverpool hadn't lost there since April 2017. And um, I think when it has started to turn against him, he's been a little bit slow in being proactive and looking to actively change one or two things, he's almost just kind of gone with, well, this has worked for a while, we'll just carry on doing this until it clicks and it's still waiting to click. So in terms of crossing um, time and time again, I can't remember what game it was, but there was one, it might have been Burnley. Southampton was one as well, but the game against Burnley and Anfield where um, it was just cross after cross and, and Burnley's defenders, you know, can soak that up all day, can't they? You know, when you think of, Tarkovsky and, and me and, and you know whoever else is, is in their back line. It was just all a bit too predictable. And, and at no point has he thought to kind of 
give it a bit of a of a tweak. And I'm hoping that on Sunday we, we, we see a little bit of a surprise. We've seen it early in the season when we went to we went to Manchester City and he played a four two four and, and he really went for it with Firmino and Jota in the side. Um I think Firmino's probably right for the for for the drop on if we're honest. I think he's been well below standard for, for far too long now, if I'm honest. But I think if he's if he's gonna persist with Firmino then why not throw Jota in there as well and really go for it? And hopefully something might just change. You might just get a few few spaces to be able to work the magic in a, a little bit more. And, and and I do think to an extent you do have to criticise the manager. I mean, not overly, as I say, but of course, when when results are this poor, then everyone has to take the flak and, and the manager is is in the, the, the final line for that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Doyle, in terms of Diogo Jota, Gorsley referenced him there. He's he's back from injury, came off the bench against Chelsea. How timely is his return, or is there going to be sort of too much pressure on him to salvage what he can single-handedly from this Liverpool season? Well, I don't think anyone's going to expect him to salvage it single-handedly. To be honest, um, I think I think there's enough other players have had long enough to to sort that out, and then they should uh, they should take but shoulder the the burden of responsibility. I don't think I think it's the other way around. I don't think there's any pressure on him. I, th- I think that he can. I think that he can come in and just do what he did when he first arrived. I think he's he'll be keen to make up for lost time. I think he'll offer Klopp an option that he's missed because he can he can play in all those three of those positions. You look at what was it Atalanta away where he scored the hat trick. He was down the middle, wasn't he? He's played on the on the uh, on the left. Is his best position, I think. He's also played on the right. I think that was the West Ham game at home, wasn't it? Or there was a game. Well, City, of course, that was another game where he was on the right. I don't, but. I don't think that's his best position, but he can he can play in all of them, and he will give Liverpool something a little bit different. Just picking up on what Gorsty said about the players, you know, and Fat and Lynchy as well. That it's Klopp doesn't seem to there's some, there's some players in the team that Klopp doesn't 100 percent trust to do what he wants them to do, what he wants them to do. Although, and that is then impacting on other players not getting games. If you see what I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean. Say, for example, Cater's not. Hasn't been playing. It's not necessarily because he doesn't 100% trust Cater. He might not 100% trust player X and player Y in other positions. So he needs to play a different kind of player in the midfield to make sure that there's kind of cover for that. I mean, it's the old Tiago question I wrote about this after the game. He's he's is have we now reached a point with Tiago where if Klopp does believe in him and the, and the fact that he can change certain games, build it, build kind of the midfield around him rather than just put him in there like Lynchy was saying with with two of the good players, you know, a very good player in, in Juan Alderman, and a, a very good up-and-coming youngster in Curtis Jones, who've all had their own individual good games this season, but together. I mean, it worked to a certain degree at Sheffield United, but that was because they were playing a kind of, as Gorsi said, different formation. And I don't know why they, for whatever reason it was, they didn't go back to that again, uh, didn't use that against Chelsea. They went back to the same old, oh, we're going to play exactly the same way that we played in all the home games, and oh, look, we've lost again, and we haven't had, we've hardly had a shot. I mean, you can't be surprised, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, it's not working. You can't be surprised it's still not working. So, so yeah, I do think, uh, I think for Jota, I don't think there's any pressure on him. I think he'll just come and he'll just enjoy himself and he'll he'll get his he'll get his first share of goals. If he scores another seven or eight goals the rest of the season, then at least Liverpool are giving themselves a chance to finish in the top half. I think a lot of people are probably building up the the role he can he can play for Liverpool. But Lynch, in terms of Diogo Jota and where he comes back into the side, what's the more pressing issue, Roberto Firmino or Sadio Mane right now? Because he doesn't look as though he's carrying much of a threat at the moment, Mane. 
No, he's he's sort of gone under the radar that he's had a really poor season. To be honest, um, you know, he, he went earlier on the season when the when Liverpool's results were pretty good. He actually went on a on a drought, and that sort of you know wasn't really spoken about as much because the because like I say, the results were still good. Um, so quietly, his, his numbers this season have really really dropped off, which is a worry. I think he, as much as anyone, is is struggling with the the, the way that the system's working at the moment, and what we we touched on earlier about the fact that the midfield press isn't quite there, and and just. You know, just I think his confidence has taken a hit because he's seen a lot less of the ball in areas where he can be dangerous and, and not, you know, and, and missing a couple of chances has sort of seemingly got in his head. And I think with Jota, I don't know whether he comes in for either of them, but I think what is slightly worrying for me about him coming back in is that he's not coming into a team that's anything like the one he was in earlier this season. I think, you know, so much of his good work that he did in that period and he got so many goals, he was so bright. Was just being the last, you know, onto the last ball, the last pass in behind, and finishing it off brilliantly. Um, how often did Liverpool slip in their wingers now to to have one on ones with a goalkeeper? It, it just so rarely happens. So he's coming into a team where he's going to be expected to make the chances himself or make them for others, rather than just being that last man, that last finish. Um, and you know, we we've not really seen an awful lot of that from him so far in his Liverpool career, even though there's not been a lot of games. So. He's being asked to do a completely different job. I, th- I just think it all goes back to, I think, there just needs to be a serious reconfiguration in that midfield if you're going to get the best out of the front three or, or the front four for the remainder of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, three goals in 18 Premier League games for Sadio Mane. That isn't sort of the return you would expect. Um, Gorsty, let's move on then to brighter things. Sunday, another game at Anfield. Liverpool surely going to get a win against Fulham, aren't they? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the exact same game we've seen for the last three months. Liverpool show up, see a lot of the ball, don't have any chances, and, and don't win the game. Um, it's honestly, it's been like Groundhog Day with, with these games. And I suppose that the one counter argument you could make to that is Liverpool have been playing teams a little bit higher up the league, haven't they? With um, you know Chelsea and, and Everton in particular, and obviously Manchester United. Which looking, looking at it now was a, was a good point. Um, but then they've also played Burnley who were were always a a real slog of a game whenever Liverpool played Burnley particularly at home but um, even Brighton Brighton not known for the the defensive kind of resolute style they were still able to dig in and get men behind the ball and and wait for their chances and and pounce when they did so um, this you know believe it or not is, is not a gimme by any means and it's a good opportunity for Liverpool to kind of pull the finger out and, and wake up and and get a bit of momentum and a bit of confidence. Uh, but at the moment, you know, those levels are, are so so low. It's almost from a standing start and, and it's it's difficult when, when that kind of weighs on you because there's no question that not having fans in the ground on top of all the statistics that they're probably hearing, the, the no goals for X amount of minutes, um, 618, I think it is, and 10 hours and... Only scored once this calendar year in Anfield, and they dropped. What is it? I think it's is it is it one point from the last twenty one at Anfield, and that was against West Brom, um, or two, sorry, with, with the Man U game as well. Um, so there's no question that these players are really feeling the confidence. And Klopp said a couple of weeks ago that he doesn't just kind of batter them for for not playing well. He, he does remind them of the good things that they do in the games because without that, you know, you're beaten into submission, and you think that you know. Where the carrot, so there is a bit of man management going on behind the scenes, but um, at some point, these players have, have got to kind of realize that 
did a lot better than this, and and, and the manager is as well, and and hopefully that will come on Sunday. But it's yeah. no, uh, it's not necessarily you know nailed on. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. No, Fulham, obviously, it was a difficult game. You were down at Craven Cottage, Doyley, for the return game. They were unbeaten in five before their defeat against Tottenham, which since then, IFAB have rewritten the laws of football again because the ball <laughs> accidentally hit a player's arm and went through. Fulham should have probably got a draw from that game. But um, they are going to be a, a tough side to, to beat, even albeit they are in the relegation zone. Yeah, Fulham away was my favourite game of the season by about a million miles. Because it was, you know, there was fans in. We've, had, we've explained this before, haven't I? There was fans in, and they're behind both goals. We were sat on, we the press were sat on one stand, and then the other side was the dugout. So it felt as though it was an actual proper game with noise coming from all four sides, even though there was only about what two thousand three hundred people in there. Were so, you bringing uh, the noise from the press box then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was just, you know, <laughs> blathering on as usual. Stop. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. Every now and again, just do some kind of random scream, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then the game started. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Fulham. I actually saw Fulham play uh, against Everton the other week, and basically they played them off the park at, at Goodison. But the problem that Fulham have had is kind of a similar problem to what Liverpool have had, where they can't score. They just they just can't score. They they have lots of nice play, and they get up to the you know the, the last third, and they either make the wrong decision or the finishing is just nowhere near good enough. But you know, yeah, I mean the handball. Yesterday, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, that's how how bad a handball that was, as you just said. It completely changed the rules of football on the back of it. Well, it's, what, it's what either IFAB or the PGMOL do every time. They put out a statement saying, oh, yeah, the application was right. And then the next day, they say, oh, we're going to change the interpretation or we're going to rewrite the laws of the game. It's an absolute joke. But... Don't, yeah. don't, by, don't by the way, on, on that kind of way. <laughs> yeah. all day. It's, it's yeah. by, by the way, the two incidents in the, in, in the Liverpool game yesterday, um, how on earth was Timo Timo Werner offside for that goal? Sorry, but he's onside. And that should yeah. have been one. That should have been one nil. And I think we all said that at the time. And the other one, how was that not handball for? Yeah. By uh, Kante. I mean, it just got to the point now where people are just like, yeah, whatever. And not, there was wasn't even that much of an outrage, was there? Uh, you just I accept think... whatever whatever the the yeah. computer throws out. You just go, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it could be yeah. <laughs> just like someone just like pressing a button, like some kind of random decision generator. What we're going to do it? Okay, right, that's it. Okay, yeah, we'll right. Sam it. Carroll's wheel of fortune he uses for when we go and play <laughs> Echo Football down at the pits. I, Obviously, that's I, very much I, an in joke, but it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that could be much more of an in joke, could yeah. it? To be honest, yeah. Yeah. even, yeah. even yeah. I don't get it. So I'm getting, <laughs> all the viewers here are like, what? See, so it used to be. See, when I when I played, it was the it was the hat Neil Jones's hat where we put the name the names in a hat and then we picked them up and we Facebook Live the the, the you know. Oh, the, yeah. The names coming out, so that's what that. we used to do. So it was far more te- technologically advanced, but which yeah. is very much unlike VAR, which is becoming. I think was it Ghost? Did you say that there's people you know, local fans just going, yeah, whatever? Or was it Guy who, who was it that said it before? Because I know, just yeah, I know, I know people. Yeah, go and say I know people yeah, are just I, gone, I, not interested in it now. And we're talking before Christmas. This was they were yeah. saying it as well. Yeah, it was me. <laughs> I've, I've seen seen people people who, who are following Twitter, lads who have grown up with them and know of following the pool home and away for for however many years, and and they they're past the point of they just kind of oh, you know let me know when we're allowed back on the ground and and you know we'll resume our fandom. I think just a lot of sports has just been beaten into apathy into it, which is which is sad really, and it's a it's a collection of, of everything just all rolled into one. Obviously, Liverpool not being great at the moment doesn't help fans from that point of view but 
that the nonsense of the decision, that the, the, the apparent randomness of one decision is going to change to the next. And on top of, obviously, you know, fans, the, the injuries as well. So football as a product is uh, struggling at the moment. And it's at a time when it's really getting shoved down everyone's throats as well, isn't it? You're seeing 10 live games a weekend. It's just, there should be no game, of course, past seven on a Sunday. When you're settling down for, you know, whatever, yeah. you, you, as opposed to freezing in some some stand yeah. somewhere where there's nobody there, yeah, yeah. I think I think VAR's just made it. You know, I made this point on Twitter. It's really boring. It's yeah, boring. I put a tweet out it's, earlier today saying this season, boring. no fans in the ground. VAR. There's not going to be moments that you remember from this season, and it might seem sour grapes. I was obviously a Liverpool podcast talking about it from a poor Liverpool season, but the the moments that people will remember from this season will be the VAR ones. It's just completely yeah. sort of taking the narrative. The, the moment I'm looking forward to is is the end. The final. Yeah, moment. Sure, yeah. I'll be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, I mean, but that's a bit. That's a bit bleak. <laughs> it's it's season, come on. End of the season. Not hey, that I'm counting. Ah, right. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Not that I'm counting, but it's, it's it's. I think it's 79 days to the end of the Premier League season. But, well, at least we might have fans there for the the final yeah. game. Of the season, that, but, well, that, that that I mean, without wish to to, to labour the point, which I'm now about to labour the point again. Um, even 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 Everton fans who I know, we're talking before Chris. Obviously, you know, as, as Guy just said, because Liverpool aren't doing particularly well, there is this kind of like, oh, well, I'm not that fussed. But even you know, fans of the teams who are doing better than Liverpool before Christmas, they were like, what's the you know? Because they thought they were coming back in October. The fans, and I think the, the the match going fans are the ones who kind of lost a bit of interest. Less so the ones who, you know, who, who haven't have the opportunity whether through not being able to go get a ticket or just because they're on the other side of the world it's different it's different for them i think it's kind of kind of been the same but the ones who go to the games i think they've just kind of lost a bit of interest like anything if you don't do anything for a year you're just going to be like well I'm not particularly fussed anymore yeah definitely right let's get back on to, to talking about fulham's visit to anfield <laughs> and uh, uh, david talking about the midfield as we were earlier the pressing seems to really have gone out of the side as you alluded to earlier the makeup of that midfield I suppose Fulham one of those sides really in the division Doyle saying they're not creating all too many chances but they do play at breakneck breakneck speed and Liverpool are really going to have to sort of lift it an awful lot to to match them in that midfield yeah absolutely I think it's a game where you sort of worry about the amount of minutes that are in Wijnaldum's legs at the moment he's going to get chased everywhere again by Fulham um you know Thiago hasn't looked too fantastic when he's been up against those sorts of sides in his in his Liverpool career so far. I think he's looked a little rushed at times. Again, he, he would be massively helped by having some protection in midfield alongside him. I think he'd look like a different player if he had Fabinho and Henderson in there. But obviously that is not the case. So at the moment, you know, you worry about him coming into games like this. I think I think Fulham have you know, Jurgen Klopp said this, didn't he? He said that the the points they've got is not probably a fair reflection of the um, the performances they've been putting in. And I know he tends to say that quite a lot, but I think with Fulham, it's genuinely true. I don't think he's just uh, paying them a, a, an empty compliment. I think it's true. They are, you know, I've seen a lot of them this season and probably seen a lot of everyone because football's on constantly. But he's, um, yeah, they, 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 they look a good side. They look well-drilled. It, it is just that ability to take chances. But I think, you know, in, in the likes of, I've been really massively impressed by Luckman this season. He's, he's He's been fantastic. And I think if he's really on his game, then, then they do have the capability to score goals and that's a worry for Liverpool. I think I agree with Gorsi. I think it's just going to be a really another really difficult game for Liverpool. And they're gonna, you know, they're gonna to have to put in a performance that's way above what they've been putting in recently if they're gonna get anything from this because it's not just a case of that they've had difficult fixtures and the results haven't been coming in. The performances in general just haven't been at the level and I think Fulham were as, as difficult a test as anyone in the Premier League at the moment, given the form they've been in since around the turn of the year. 
Yeah, high defensive line with makeshift defenders slash sort of slow centre halves v speedy striker VAR to the rescue after what we just said all about that. But anyway, let's get into our, our match selector, um, team selector on the, the, the Blood Red podcast now. And Gorsty, Allison in goal, but I'll let you lead us with the uh, the back four. How do you see Jurgen Klopp lining things up? Well, it's looking like uh, Osman Kabak's injured. So um, the case of the Liverpool centre-back strikes again. And uh, Nat Phillips, Klopp was a little bit more hopeful, but uh, he was asked between, you know, he was asked Ben Davis or Nat Phillips and kind of still suggested that Ben Davis was still getting to grips with with learning the, the, the art of defending for Liverpool, which... Um, there isn't much to it at the moment, it would seem, but it's looking like it's going to have to be Phillips and Fabinho. And then the fullbacks, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Doily, midfield, you can lead us on that. I think this might whoa, be... Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, sorry Doily. He's going he's to say something mad like yeah. Ghosty starts in centre-half alongside <laughs> No, no, Just, just no. let him say it. No, I am. He knows this anyway, because I've told him that, 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 that my team is going to be spectacular for this game. Um for a start, okay, there's still going to be four defenders. Allison's not in goal. If Keller has fit, he's playing, right? Yeah. Keller has fit, he's playing. Uh, Nico Williams is right back. Right. Uh, ben Davis and Ben Davis and Nat Phillips at centre back, and left back has to be Andy Robertson because there are no other left backs. Right. Okay. Well, Nat Phillips is number one centre half choice as we discussed on Monday, so makes sense. But he is, yeah, he is. And and if you're gonna if you're gonna play centre backs, play them. Yeah, Lynchy, what about your defence? You with Gorsty? Yeah, I, I'm not drunk, so uh, I'm just going <laughs> to... Excuse no, me, this a... is a lovely a lovely cup of tea. Late, <laughs> late. Yeah. yeah. Um, Doily, what about the midfield then? You can you can leave well, us it's, it's, it's 4-2-3-1. This isn't quite as crazy. Uh, so the two is Fabinho and Milner, and then the one in front of them is Cater. Right, okay. Could you get on board with that, Gorsty? Well, I've already got Fabinho in my defence. I think I'm putting Cater in, Cater in there somewhere. Um, I, I think I think it might be time to give Thiago a rest. <clears throat> I'm going to say Wijnaldum, Milner, and, and Cater. Okay, Lynch, you yourself. Yeah, I actually like the sound of that. I think something possibly needs to change in there. Maybe Thiago does need pulling out for a game, and, and maybe Jones as well. And, and yeah. You've got options. I, I think it's it's time to sort of change something in that midfield, isn't it? Because it just doesn't look right at the moment. And I think if you put um, Cater and Wijnaldum in there with Milner, you know that you've got a certain level of pressing from those three and they, they all know the system and they all know what they should do in a three. So I think uh, I think it's maybe time to give that a go. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'll stay with you, David, on the, the forward three. Surely there's going to be a shake-up there, isn't there? Yeah, maybe it's time for, for Jota to come in for a start. Hopefully he's, he's ready for that. In terms of who it's going to be, I think you could probably say, obviously Mo Salah's definitely going to start because he, he came off and he wasn't happy about it at all. Um, but I think it's a, it's a toss-up between Firmino and, and Mane, I think, at the moment in terms of their form. So I don't know. I think Firmino's role is so specific, isn't it, that maybe he would, he would lean on the side of maybe taking off Mane and, and, and going with Jota on that left-hand side and just seeing how that works out for a game and, and giving himself the option of Mane off the bench if he needs to go to a front four later. Uh, Doyle, what about yourself? You, your wide players and your, your forward in your four-two-three-one. Right. Uh, well, I, I know that Salah will play, but I wouldn't play him. In fact, I wouldn't play any of the front three. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I'm sorry, but as far as I'm concerned, they've just lost five home games in a row. 
you know, and they're going to have to do something drastic. They've got a massive game coming up against Leipzig in the Champions League, which they have to win te- basically. To, to That's the only thing they're going to win. And it could even be their best route back into the Champions League by actually winning it. So, um, so you're left with four players then from three. So Jota's got Jota's obviously playing, and he'll have to go down the middle. Shakiri on the right, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, this is the thing: is that do you, do you put Jota on the left or Rigi down the middle? I'm not even sure whether I'd play Rigi in this team, to be honest. Um, so no, I'll keep Mane. Mane can go on the left. So right. Mane on the left, Shakiri on the right, and Jota down the middle. Go see what's your three. Keeping faith with Mane, obviously you've got to keep Salah in, and for me, you know, it out for Jota, who um, could go down the middle or could could start on the left. Either way, they, they can kind of mix it up and, and see how it goes. Cool. Right. Okay. Score predictions. Then, Ghostly, come back to you. <laughs> Are we going to see a goal <laughs> at Anfield for Liverpool? I think it think this has to be the game, wasn't it? One um, nil, Liverpool. Well, Doyle, you said before Fulham don't score many goals. Liverpool aren't scoring at Anfield. Dead rubber or what's your score? Point? I would say if it's my team that gets yeah, picked, yeah. if it's my team that gets picked, yeah, Liverpool go. Liverpool win 2 0, but it won't be my team, so they will lose 1 0. And I think that's the first time I've ever backed them to get beat. Wow. Lynchy, what about yourself? Uh, I think that Liverpool might get a goal from open play for once, but I think I think Fulham will. I just I think Luckman could maybe sort of unsettle this defence. So I'm going to go for one one. One one, crikey! Right, let's wait and see how it does play out. Make sure you keep across it all across the Liverpool Echo and Blood Red wherever it is you listen to your audio on demand or our dedicated YouTube channel. But my thanks to David Lynch, Ian Doyle, and Paul Gorst here on the Blood Red podcast. Thanks for your time and your company for joining us. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.